times of our lives. <laughs> hey. <laughs> well, welcome, guys, to Epiphany Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek Parts, um, and I have the wonderful, wonderful privilege and pleasure of uh, serving as the lead pastor here um, and to be able to stand before you today to share the Word of God. Okay? Uh, so, <clears throat> I'm, we've been in this series called Devoted. You guys been enjoying this series? All right, so this series, Devoted. Uh, and so today we'll be in James chapter 2, uh, verse 14. Uh, we're going to finish up part of what I didn't finish last week. Um, so we're going to round out the end of chapter four, uh, verse 14, excuse me, and then we'll be in verses 15 through 17 as well today. Okay? That all right? All right, so I'm going to read um, and then... Uh, we'll pray. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save them? Verse 15, it says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, somebody say daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed. You and you, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Father, we pray, God, that you would bless us in this time. God, we pray your blessing over the word. God, I pray, God, that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth and let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, and who we place all of our trust in. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said, amen. I want to tag this text today as devoted dead or alive, devoted, dead or alive. It is possible to live under a delusion. You may think that you are a kind, considerate, and gracious person when you really are not. (laughs) Not yet, not yet. (laughs) You may think that you are depositing positive things into your children. But if you check in 20 years later, you might realize that you may not have. You might think that you have done good works when in fact you really haven't. You might think that you are a generous person, but in fact you may not be. It is possible to live under a delusion. But what if, just what if, you could read your own obituary? What if during your time on this earth, God gave you a glimpse of what was written about you when you died? You get to see how people really perceive you. You get to see what people really think about you. That would be crazy, right? But here is a story of a man who actually got 
to read his own obituary. <laughs> One morning in 1888, Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, woke up one morning to read his own obituary. Now, the obituary was printed as the result of a simple journalistic error. You see, it was Alfred's brother that had died. And the reporter carelessly reported the death of the wrong brother. So any man would be disturbed to wake up under these circumstances and find that they had died when they had not. But now he's reading all about himself in the paper. And to Alfred's shock, he was overwhelmed by the fact that all people saw about his life was that he was the dynamite king. The great industrialist who had made an immense fortune from explosives. All that was known of him was that his name was attached to death and murder. And as far as the general public concern, was concerned, Alfred's life was nothing more than the result of his creation of a death machine. None of his true intentions <laughs> to break down barriers that separated men and their ideas for peace were recognized or given any type of serious consideration. He was simply a merchant of death. And for that alone, that's all he would be remembered as. Now that shook him up as it would shake me up. And as he read it with horror, he resolved to make clear to the world that the true meaning and purpose of his life was not death, was not murder, but it was peace. So here's what he does. In his last will and testament, Alfred would leave an endowment for five annual prizes for outstanding contributions in physics, chemistry, physiology and medicine, literature, or peace. And they added one later for economics. And it would express his ideals and ultimately would change and shape and mark the way that he is remembered. I'm going to help you. Ready? Mr. Alfred Nobel is not known any longer as the dynamite king, but he's known for creating the Nobel Peace Prize. Every year, annually, he gives out millions and millions of dollars from his estate to people making strides in peace, physics, and all these other areas. <laughs> I guess they agree. I don't know. But the question I don't want to ask to you today is will your devotion stand when you're dead as well as when you're alive? How will your devotion stand when you're dead as well as when you are alive? James asks us this interesting question. 
he goes on, and I'm, I'm going to finish up verse 14 from last week, but he goes on to say, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such a faith save him? James is asking this question. He's asking us uh, for our insight. It's a rhetorical question, though, but he, he's asking us for our insight about what impact our lives have on other people. He's asking us for our insight on what happens to our uh, what happens to our reputation and our testimony when we die. And so I want to help shape for us today this question that he's asking. He's asking us, he says, if you claim to have faith, but you don't have works, can that type of faith save you? And for many of us, we talked about it last week, for many of us, we are marked more by what we say than by what we actually do. Some of us want to, excuse me, I'll say it better. Some of us want to be marked more by what we say than by what we actually do. We want people to recognize us for the things that we have said. But when it comes to lining those things up with what we actually do, it's not always there. And so James is asking us, he says, some of you are claiming to have faith but you don't actually have it because you don't have works. Some of you claim to have authentic faith in Jesus, but when you come underneath the magnifying glass, you don't really have faith. And so James is asking, can such a faith, he's asking, can a faith that does not have works, can that kind of faith save you? What he's asking is this. This word here for can is a word that can be defined as uh, uh, having the power to do something. And so James is asking, he said, he's asking this. He says, is a faith without works powerful enough to save you? Is a faith that is without works capable of saving you? Is a faith that is without works able to save you? such a person now let me clear it up again this week i cleared it up last week this is not talking about you you receiving salvation that's not what this is about james is not saying that the way you receive salvation is to do a bunch of good works that's not what he's saying that's not what i'm saying what james is saying is is that the proof is in the pudding he's saying that the proof is in whether or not You've learned how to give up your life for the benefit of somebody else. He's saying that the proof is whether or not you've learned, like Jesus learned, to humble yourself and to give up what you think you might have, to empty yourself, like the scripture talks about what Jesus did. He emptied himself of equality so that he could come amongst us as a servant, even to the point of death. And so what James is asking us is this. He's asking us straight up. He's saying, are you willing to empty yourself to give up your life as a servant for the benefit of somebody else, even if it means that you go to the point of dying for somebody else? Now, you're like, I'm not going to die for nobody. <laughs> I'm going to live. <laughs> but the reality is, is that we're called to die in more ways than, we, in more ways than one. We're, sometimes we're called to die <laughs> and let our ideas and our preferences go. 
sometimes we're called to die and, 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 and let our ambitions go a little bit because our ambitions sometimes get in the way of us actually raising a healthy family and loving on our children well. Sometimes we're called to die to some stuff that we prefer because it doesn't bless the people around us. And the only person that it will bless is us. And so James is making it very clear. He's saying that if you are saved, the proof is in the pudding of your works. Now, faith. He's asking, can such a faith save? What, what faith are we talking about? What, what, what is this faith? This faith is defined uh, as a persuasion or assurance of something. It's defined as a belief in something, but more than that, it's defined as a conviction of the truth. And a conviction of truth, here's what James is saying, a conviction of truth without words is unable to save you. An assurance of belief without works is incapable of saving you. But I want to talk to you. Here's why I'm finishing up from last week. I want to talk to you about four types of faith. Four types of faith. Number one, the first type of faith is specific faith. Because I want you to get to what James is, is talking about here. Specific faith. Uh, I, I want to look at Acts chapter 14, verse 8 to define this. In Acts chapter 14, it, 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 says, it says, In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, and he had never walked. And he had been lame from birth. (laughs) Not like lame like corny. (laughs) Lame like not able to walk. Thank you for the one person who laughed at my joke. I appreciate it. (laughs) He's saying that this person had been lame from birth. Just they couldn't walk. And he listened, verse 9, he says he listened. All he did, listen to this. All he did was listen as Paul spoke. And after looking directly at him, Paul said, Saul, that he had the faith to be healed. In verse 10, it says, Paul said in a loud voice to this man, he says, stand up on your feet. And then the scripture says, he jumped up and began to walk around. This man who had never walked before had a specific faith enough that all he did was hear the word be preached by Paul. All he did was hear Paul proclaim Jesus, and it sparked something inside of him that gave him a specific faith enough to believe that he would be able to walk one day. And so he jumped up. This man who never walked before, he jumped up. Listen, I can't jump out of bed in the morning. I walk up. I walk every day. <laughs> every morning I get out of bed, I got to rub my knees and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but this man who had never walked before jumped up and started walking around. That's specific faith. The next kind of faith is this. It's supernatural faith. I want to go to Luke chapter 18, verse 27. Y'all tracking with me? Luke chapter 18. This story here is about the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler, is, he comes to Jesus, and he's trying to find out from Jesus, like, how, how do I get, you know, this eternal life stuff? How do I, how do I get this, right? What, 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 what do I need to do? And he, the rich young ruler, Jesus tells him, he says, homie, go ahead, sell all your possessions. <laughs> he's like, oh, cool, you, 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 you've honored your father and mother, you kept all the commandments since your birth, that's great. Go sell your possessions. 
And the rich young ruler <laughs> became sad. Like each and every one of us would. Don't think you're not the rich young ruler in the story. You are. <laughs> he says that he became sad. And then Jesus compares the task of a person with possessions, with a lot of possessions, entering into the kingdom. He compares it to a camel going through the eye of a needle. And then the disciples respond by saying, well, Jesus, <laughs> then who can be saved? And then Jesus replies to them. He says this. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so there is a supernatural level of faith that there are things that only can happen if God intervenes. See, there are only things that happen that can happen if God himself steps in and changes your circumstance. There are only certain things that can happen if there's a move of God in your life to transform and to renew and to change and to transform. Now, some of us, the reason why we don't get supernatural faith is because we think we can accomplish everything in, not, in the natural. <laughs> we think we can do everything. We tell God, just get out my way. <laughs> Watch out. I got this. We do that. But then th th there's, there's, there's faith that's required in order for the supernatural to occur. The next type of faith is this. It's called surrogate faith. I'm like, what's that? Surrogate faith. It's the same kind of faith. <laughs> like the word surrogate, you think about it. Somebody else carries the faith for you. Meaning that you have the capacity to believe and to be persuaded about something on behalf of somebody else that will provide them with deliverance. I don't know about you, but I'm here today. I'm the direct result of somebody having faith in God. I am the direct result of somebody praying and crying and calling on Jesus and crying out to God. That's why I'm here today. And so there's a surrogate faith that we have and that we're called to have on behalf of others in our lives. That's part of doing good works is sometimes that you learn how to believe something for somebody else who doesn't have the capacity to believe it for themselves. And so sometimes God is calling you, family of God, to believe God is able to save a wayward child for somebody, that God is able to do something miraculous for somebody on, on their behalf. Sometimes the good works you are called to do is to have surrogate faith. How do I know this? Go, go to John chapter 11, verse 40. John chapter 11 is the passage about Lazarus. Lazarus has died. Now, before Lazarus died, he was sick. And so, guess what? While he was sick, Jesus heard about it. And, but he heard about it, but Jesus didn't act on it just yet. And so we see tucked inside of this story, we see multiple interactions that Jesus is going to have as a result of this. And the question they, they ask or the statement that they make to Jesus, they say, Jesus, if you had have been here, our brother had, would not have died. 
Jesus, if you would have just shown up, our brother would not have died. But Jesus responds to them and he lets them know. He's saying, listen, don't worry about it. (laughs) He's not dead. (laughs) I'm going to raise him up again. And sometimes in our lives, parenthetically, when God doesn't act, when we want him to act, we think that he is incapable of acting. Sometimes when God doesn't move in our lives, when we want him to move, we think that we that he no longer has the power to move in our lives. (laughs) That's silly of us. And and the reason we do that is because we shape God in our image. (laughs) We think that he is at at times impotent to do certain things. But when the reality is, is that he has all power. He's omnipotent. That means he never runs out of power to be able to handle your circumstance. Hear me today. God has never run out of power to deal with your circumstances. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what the difficulty is. I don't care what the frustration is in your life. God has enough power to handle your situation. But listen to this. Martha now interacting with Jesus. She says to Jesus the same thing. She says, Jesus, you're calling him out of the tomb. But he's already been dead for four days. And there's already a stench, Jesus. Don't she's telling Jesus, don't don't do that. <laughs> like, Jesus, like, you gotta chill <laughs> because this this would be bad. Um, but even in her doubt, she still had faith. Isn't that powerful? She even though she 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 doubted and she was hurting and she was in pain, she still at the at a core level knew that if Jesus spoke to it, <laughs> that it still was gonna be able to happen. And you got to know that if there are things in your life that Jesus is speaking to, guess what? It can happen because Jesus spoke to it. But listen to this. Jesus, she, Martha responds to Jesus. He's already been dead a couple of days. Jesus like, don't call him out because it's going to stink. <laughs> don't do it. And Jesus turns to her and he says this. He says this. He says, didn't I tell you? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God. See, we're called to have surrogate faith on behalf of other people. And when we do, (laughs) we get to see the glory of God. And so I want to encourage us, family. Like I want to encourage us to believe and have faith. Because your faith is a doorway to the glory of God. See, we, 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 take, we take faith too lightly, right? We take faith as something that it, it, it's, it's, like, it's like a passive kind of thing, like have faith in God, right? We, we hear that and we know those notions and we recognize that stuff. But the reality is, is that we don't really believe in faith. <laughs> we don't really have faith in faith because here's why we're placing our faith in faith. And we're not placing our faith in the object of our faith. See, faith has an object. (laughs) See, faith has something that you place your faith in. If you're just placing your faith in faith, then you're not really getting anywhere. But if you're placing your faith in God, guess what? You're going to get everywhere you want to get if you're placing your faith in God. And so the next we see, so there's specific faith, there's supernatural faith, there's surrogate faith, and then lastly there is saving faith. Saving faith. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. It says, For you are saved by grace through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It's not from yourselves, but it is a gift of God. Not from works so that one can boast. Remember, we're not talking about faith that uh, uh, gives you salvation. We're talking about we're not talking about works that gives you salvation. We're talking about works that are proof of your salvation. He says, for not from works so that so that no one can boast. For we are, listen to this, we are his what? His workmanship created in Christ for what? Good works, which God has prepared ahead of time. So what this is saying to us is that God has not just saved you (laughs) so that you can be free from the fires of hell. That's not why he just saved you. God saved you because he has purposed good works for you that he's already prepared ahead of time for you to do. So here's how we say it in a, a, a colloquialism. It's like you're not just saved from something. You're saved for something. And so God has saved each and every one of us for something. And so, family, I need us to understand this as we're talking about this idea of, 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 of having good works, as we're talking about this idea uh, of, of, of being devoted. We got to understand this sense and have this reality in our mind is that, yes, God has saved each and every one of us from the grip of death. He saved us from the from the grip of hell. He saved us from sin. He saved us from all of that. And he did that to save us for something. That means, listen to this, that means that your life isn't just about you. See, that's what happens when you just think that you're saved from something. I hear people talking about having fire insurance. That sounds weird to me. Like you're saved and you're just good because you're saved from the fires of hell because you believed in Jesus. Like that's it. That's weird to me. Because God hasn't just saved you to rescue you from, from hell and from death. Yes, he did that. But he saved you to do something for him here on this earth. He saved you for good works. Your life is not about you. I need us to catch that in our spirit this morning. Your life is not about you. And I don't care how special you think you are. And I don't care how many people told you you're special. Your life's not about you. And that's why we're called, family of God, to position ourselves in such a way that our faith is exemplified through our good works towards others. He saved us. This saving is talking about deliverance from protection. Um, But it also talks about this. It talks about being saved from the evils which obstruct the reception of the messianic deliverance in your life. Here's what I mean. See, when we are saved, we have to be saved from all of the type of evils that obstruct us from seeing our lives being shaped around the Savior because he rescued us. See, the fact that he rescued us it then shapes our lives. We, my wife and I, we watch westerns sometimes and stuff like that, and, and then a guy will save somebody's life, pew, like he'll shoot somebody and save another person's life, and then the person goes, oh, I owe you my life. My friend, I owe you my life. And then they go and they turn around and they start following that person all around, 
like for the rest of the movie because they owe that person their life now because that person saved them. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> Our lives are just like that movie, whichever one it is. I don't know. It's a couple of them. But your life is just like that because you have been rescued by the Savior. Your job now is to follow him around the rest of your life. And what that means is, is that <laughs> you're called to follow Jesus. That means that you do the things that he did, you said the things that he said, and you became, you become like Jesus. So, but there are things that get in the way of us, family of God, actually receiving the messianic deliverance that we are called to walk in. See, self-glorying <laughs> is one of the things that obstructs messianic deliverance in our lives. Meaning, you think your life is about you. That's called self-glorying. You glory in yourself. You think life is just about you. Self-protection obstructs messianic deliverance in your life. Nothing gets in the way of God's protection of you. Nothing gets in the way of God's deliverance in your life. Nothing gets in the way of you walking and following Jesus other than you trying to protect yourself. But I've been hurt before, Jesus. <laughs> you don't understand the stuff they said to me, Jesus. So I can't go over there. <laughs> I, I, I can't do that stuff with them because I was hurt. I understand, right? I get it. But we have been set free from every hurt, every pain. Every difficulty in our lives, we're free from that. We don't have to hold on to that kind of stuff because we know, one, guess what? We are to forgive as we have been forgiven, right? Uh-oh. We are to forgive as we have been forgiven, right? And some of you forgive like you want to instead of forgiving like God has forgiven you. <laughs> God's not holding nothing against you. In fact, the scripture tells us that as far as the east is from the west, <laughs> we're called to forgive in that way. But we protect ourselves. Pride obstructs messianic deliverance in our lives. See, pride leads you down a pathway of a couple of things. Here it is. Pride will lead you towards gossip. It'll lead you towards lying. It'll lead you towards losing your temper. It'll lead you towards lust. It'll lead you towards fear of man. It'll lead you to all types of stuff. See, the reason that we, when it, when it comes to gossip, the reason we don't perform good works <laughs> is because we're so busy talking about what other people are doing. Or we're so busy focused on what other people are not doing that we lose sight of what we're called to do. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. He said, listen, you you're so concerned with the speck in your brother's eye that you missed the big old log sitting in yours. Now, I get it. I had a speck in my eye before it hurt. <laughs> a piece of wood shaving in your eye, it hurt. Imagine the fact that you have a log in your eye and you're worried about a speck in somebody else's. 
And so we start to gossip. We start talking about what other people are doing. We start, we start, we start putting down the stuff that they're doing. She ain't really all that. <laughs> See her little business. It's all right. <laughs> Everything little. <laughs> That's how we do. I see your little boyfriend. <laughs> we do all that stuff. Lying, right? We don't have faith with works because we lie about our position and our condition in life. If we tell the truth, we'd actually be able to do good works. But we spend so much time lying about our position in life. We try to like make people believe we're more up more up than we actually are. We want people to believe that we got it all together. When it when we're actually called to this, we're called to come together as broken vessels that God will put back together. And we get to live life in community with one another. I'm broken, you're broken, but the master, <laughs> he brings us all together. And forms us into one body, into one beautiful temple. He forms us into something. But we spend so much time lying. I got to move. Verse 15, he says this. He says, if a brother or sister was without clothes and lacking daily food, and one says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, if, it doesn't, if faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Now, I, I need us to, to get this because James is talking to us about a specific group of people. He's saying here to us, he's saying, if a brother or a sister is without clothes, that brother or sister is, is, is one word that talks about brethren in Christ. It talks about being born of the same father, right? And if you're in Christ, we're all born of the same father, God, God the father, right? We get to call him daddy through the spirit of adoption that we have been purchased and bought into, right? So I want to dispel the myth, right, that our individual church needs to rid the world of hunger and homelessness. Some people kind of put that kind of pressure onto to the church. Like we've got to do every single thing in order to dispel hunger and homelessness all throughout the city of Wilmington. That's not the case. So let me dispel that myth for a second. Now, there is a tension in that because we are called to care for the needs of the poor and to care for the needs of the sick and to care for the needs of the broken, right? But James is being very clear here. He's saying to us, he's saying, listen, if your brother in Christ is without clothes and lacking daily food, and all you say to them is go in peace and stay warm and be well fed, you're tripping. That's the Derek translation. Now, I, I, I want to get to this because some of us, and some of us, we're bleeding hearts. We think that we're supposed to like just give to everybody and like do all that kind of stuff like that. And yeah, sometimes... God calls you to be generous and to do all those kind of things. But <laughs> let's be honest, some of the people in need around us need to get a job. You know, we all got that person in our lives who's constantly, let me hold, let me hold, <laughs> give me, give me. 
and I never heard this expression before I met my wife. She said, give me got shot. (laughs) 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 Give me got shot. (laughs) And so some people are in need, right? But we have to be discerning, right? And understand that some people just need a, a job. Some people are in need, but they just need to stop their bad habits. I got a friend who pastors down in, 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 uh, in Florida, and he was telling me that they were working with a couple, and the couple was constantly, they're like constantly like, you know, we got, we got these benevolence needs, like we, we need help from the church, we need this, we need that. And so he finally sat down with them and said, okay, after giving them money a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of times, he sat down with them and said, well, let's, let's look at your budget. And so they look at their budget, and it came to find out like there was a $500 gap in their budget. And so he's like asking them like, hey, like, seems like you got an extra $500 here. Like, where's all that money? And after doing some investigation, he found out that they were spending $500 a month on weed. <laughs> 500 on weed. <laughs> some of y'all telling yourselves right now, you're talking about that's expensive. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> like, they're spending $500 a month on weed. Now, listen. Still telling on yourselves. (laughs) But here's the reality is that there are some people who are in need in our lives. Yes, they are. And and I'm measuring this next to our brothers and sisters, right? This is what I'm measuring this by. I'm measuring this by our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who have faith in Jesus, those who believe in Jesus. But sometimes they struggle, right? And they position themselves like they are in constant need when sometimes they just need to get a job and need to change their bad habits. Okay? Let's clear that up. But then there are some people in our lives who are poverty stricken. There are some people in our lives who are in desperate need of help from their brothers and sisters. And so these are the people that we are called to help. Now, James says here, if you run into that kind of person, the person who is without clothes or the person who is without uh, or the person who lacks daily food. And all you say to them is go in peace. What James is saying is this, you may not actually be a Christian. He's talking about people who are actually in need. Like, this isn't, this isn't like, oh, I, I, didn't eat, I couldn't go to McDonald's today because I didn't have enough money. This person just didn't eat today because they're poverty stricken. But they're our brother in Christ. They've been saved. And James is saying to us, he says, listen, if you are the kind of person who says to them, go and stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, you may not be a Christian. See, when people are faced with the challenges of life, we want them to withdraw from us because we don't really want to deal with their lack. Because giving to people in need is difficult for us because, (laughs) hear this, we think that we have earned the possessions that we have. You don't get, I work hard for my money. You might. But don't forget that the power to work hard, the education that you have, the knowledge that you have, all the stuff that you've got in order to get you to where you are, it's a gift from God. Don't forget it. It comes from above. Don't forget that everything you've got has been given to you by God. And so we just want people to go like, Go. 
I don't want to deal with your lack <laughs> because I'm up. Well, you forget a time when you weren't up. If we're honest, <laughs> some of us have been some places where we were down. But not only this, not only this, we also forget the principle. We, 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 we get stuck into this trap of, of, of not giving to the bodily needs of our brother and sister is because we forget that the principle of giving is applied to us. Here's the idea. The measure at which you give, you will receive. The measure at which you give, you will receive. Luke chapter 6 tells us that. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure. There you go. Press down, shaking together, running over. It'll pour into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so imagine seeing your brother poverty stricken. Imagine seeing your brother and your sister not able to eat that day. And you just go back to your crib and eat the filet mignon that you've been waiting on all week. Now I get it. You worked hard. You worked hard to get that filet. It cost you $18. I get it. But let's not forget that the measure that we, that we use, it'll be measured back to us. The next piece about that we forget is this, is that there was reward attached to giving. Matthew 6 says this, it says, so whenever you give to the poor, listen to this, don't sound a trumpet before you, <laughs> as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets, to be applauded by people. For I tell you, if you do that truly, you have your reward already. So what that implies is that there is reward attached to giving to those who are in need. And then lastly, you got to see this, is that the reward is great. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29 he says, so he said to them, truly, I tell you, there was no one who has left house, wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children or because of the kingdom of God who will not receive, will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. The reward that we have is great because it's not earthly. <laughs> the reward that we have is great because it's eternal. And so family, I need us to understand this. I need us to understand is that doing good works, doing good works sets us up for eternal reward. Now we don't, we're not like, we're not here like, and, and the reason we don't do it is because we, we think, you know what? I need all my earthly possessions. I need everything that I've got here. I've earned it. But the truth of the matter is, is that when you give up of your eternal possessions, right? In fact, Jesus tells us, he goes on later in that passage, in that verse to tell us, he says, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up treasures in heaven. I got a code. Listen to this. He says, don't just tell them to go in peace. Don't just tell them to be to stay warm and be well fed, and stay well. Uh, uh, stay warm and be well fed was a common um, colloquialism of that day, which was basically telling the person, "You good." That's basically what it was telling them. 
it, it, the, the phrase is, is, liter- is, is, is a colloquialism to say that you got everything you need already. Now imagine telling a person destitute, without food, without clothes, without a place to lay their head. You good. And we all do that. We just may not say it. We look at our brother and sister around us who's struggling, destitute, poverty-stricken, and we say, you good. Not you good. We say, you good. There's a difference. That type of thinking reveals that we have a superiority complex. Because if we don't give them what the body needs, James says, what good is it? What good is it? If we're not tuned into the needs of our brothers and sisters, James is asking, what good are we? He says in the same way, verse 17, he says in the same way faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Faith, the conviction of Jesus and his gifts to you requires your works. Your persuasion in Christ demands works. Your assurance of salvation in Jesus, it implies good works. Says if it doesn't have works, your faith is dead. That word for dead means dead. what it means it means dead (laughs) deep exegetical stuff here it means dead (laughs) what James is saying people who claim to be a Christian but fail to help poverty stricken brothers and sisters believers you are in fact not saved Because a dead faith is no faith. If your faith doesn't have works, it's dead. That means it doesn't exist. It's not like, well, maybe I got some. No. He said, faith without works is dead. It means it has no life. It's inactive. It's inoperable. It's destitute of force or power. If your faith does not have works, it's dead. 
That's why one of our values here is that we leverage our work. Because we understand at a core level, at a deep level, that God has called us to work. He's called us to use all the gifts and talents that he has given to us to bless other people. So we leverage our work. We leverage our talents. We leverage our gifts. We leverage everything that we have for the benefit of other people. That's why we leverage our work. That's what we mean. Because a faith that doesn't have works is a dead faith. And each and every one of us needs to take an examination of our lives to determine whether or not our faith is alive or if our faith is dead. Is your faith dead or alive? If you're in Christ, you got to know this, that he's called you to a, a faith that's alive. But not only that, he's called you to a faith that has power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God has given us power. And that power should allow us to live out our faith each and every day. I know you're tired but the Holy Spirit gives you power. I know you feel weak, but the Holy Spirit gives you power. I know you're frustrated, but the Holy Spirit gives you power. I know you're tired of dealing with the same stuff over and over again, but the Holy Spirit gives you power. I'm gonna close with this. The family, the, those who are devoted, they know three things. They know that true faith, living faith, let me edit that. They know that living faith requires action. They know that living faith rejects harmony for the sake of harmony. And they know that living faith requires power. Family, I want to pray that you would receive the power that the Holy Spirit has given to each and every one of you to have a faith that is alive and not dead. So when you're asked the question, is your faith dead or alive? You can shout from the mountaintops, alive. Father, I pray by your Spirit. We need your power. We need your power, Jesus. Make us alive in you, Jesus. Strengthen us today, Jesus. Renew us today, Father. Bless us, Father. Help us to walk in the life that you've given to us. 
And the life that you've given to us is one of power. Our faith is not dead. It is alive. Because our God is not dead. He is alive. And so we take hold of that. We walk in that reality. And Father, help us to live out our lives marked by faith, devoted to good works. Because you've called us to be devoted, whether we're dead or alive. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Let's prepare our hearts for communion. So anything that um... Thank you so much for choosing to worship with us this morning. We are so excited and so thankful. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, you've just made the best decision of your life, and we are so excited, and all of heaven is rejoicing with us. Click the link at the bottom of the screen, and someone from Epiphany Church will follow up with you as soon as possible. If you have chosen to become a member of Epiphany Church Wilmington today, welcome, and we cannot wait to meet you. Click the link at the bottom of the screen, and someone will contact you as soon as possible. Also, if you could give, and there are several ways to give, you could click the link at the bottom of the screen, you could text, you could download the app, but we need you to give. Uh, without your giving, we would not be able to do any of the things that we do as a church in the community. Once again, thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Like, comment, subscribe, and share, and tell a friend to tell a friend about what God is doing here at Epiphany Church Wilmington, where we believe in being on the block, in the middle of it, for Jesus Christ. God.